0: Thank you all so much for coming. Uh, second of our Shurim introducing Rabbi Nachman and his Torah. And um, the first year, last week, we spent some time talking about Rabbi Nachman's life. Um, who exactly he was Some uh, famous statements of his uh, Things that people may already be familiar with And goal tonight is really to go ahead And to ask ourselves the following question Which is what kind of a man Was Rabbi Nachman Abrasov what, what makes it, right? what's the magnitude of this individual That uh, Whose fire still burns to this day That uh, we still learn his Torah That we still find ourselves uh, Repeatedly uh, Strengthened by his words and, uh, and that so many people feel themselves drawn to Rabbi Nachman. If you look on top, I, I, I wrote some questions. Uh, we're not going to repeat them out loud, but questions that, uh, that, that maybe yeah. we should be thinking about. Question that I, questions I, we should be thinking about as uh, we go yeah. through today. And, and I want to... Uh, I want to okay, f- question, spend... I, the f- last week you were saying something and I said... That it's wild. Yeah, it's, yeah why, so. why... Why do we... we want to... That's right, that's right. Okay, so it's a very valid question and uh, I plan to deal with it straight on before we do anything else today because before we talk about who Rabbi Nachman was as a person, so to to reintroduce Rabbi Nachman to everybody, uh, I think that uh, it might behoove us to go ahead and face the issue of his paros, of a person going ahead and speaking in quite a grandiose manner about themselves. As we read about last week, Rav Nachman said, <laughs> I'm a river that cleanses from all stains. There's never been a, there's never been a novelty like, uh, like me and my ideas. So, so what could that possibly, how do we possibly understand this, certainly understanding that the greatest of spiritual teachers teachers for Jewish people in Jewish tradition. Moshe Beinu uh, was singled out yeah. uh, for one trait above all which was his Anav Vaish yeah. Moshe Anav Ma'od Right uh, Moshe was uh, Moses was the most humble of all people. So, so let's, uh, let's jump straight into that. So in the first source that we have over here and we, have an, and we will be a little bit more text based this week uh, and we'll try and uh, hopefully uncover as much ground as possible but, uh, but certainly uh, this is by no means an exhaustive thing and the same disclaimer uh, above all, uh, still is uh, still holds true is that, uh, is that it's quite embarrassing. Uh, once I decide, once we were learning, it's uh, it was it was very self-contained to talk of every trip to Eretz Yisrael. Um, you know, it's a self-contained text, but to try and give a survey of sorts of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov and his Torah is something that I am woefully inadequate to do. And uh, if anything, uh, the goal of these shirim are merely just to open up the world of Breslov and its Torah and Rabbi Nachman. And there are so many resources out there. Uh, one could start with uh, with Breslov Research Institute and their beautiful works that they've put out. They've translated all of Likud an absolutely magnificent uh, project in its own right. And um, and 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 you know even before we start with this I, I was reading you know so tonight is Purim Cotton, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so tonight is Purim Cotton, yeah. yeah. and uh, yeah. I read in uh, the Shabbos I read from uh Ravitch Ravichamaya Morgenstern, uh, the Kabbalist from Eretz Yisrael that I've been talking about the lot in Shul. Um, so he 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 said. He said that Purim Khatan in many ways, is is greater than uh, than the regular Purim. Now he goes on to explain that statement, uh, that rather paradoxical statement, in ways that I did not fully understand. But uh, maybe to add a little ta'am, a little Purim Torah, maybe uh, is that. Uh, how cute is it that we like we go ahead and we call things Purim Torah when we want to sort of at the world sort of says Purim Torah as if to belittle it. I would say it's <laughs> the exact opposite. That its Purim Torah is oftentimes the most simple and sometimes humorous. That is. Uh, that is the highest Torah of all. But Kook writes, and uh, of Cook is uh, quoted in one of his speeches as saying that Purim is so great that Purim doesn't even have an iser Malacha. Purim is so incredible a holiday that its kedusha, its holiness, can't even be contained in the ordinary uh, prescriptions of um, of doing uh, creative work. And, uh, and 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 you know, we drive on Purim. That's true of Hanukkah as well. But for Hanukkah as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, but Purim especially, you know, it's like, uh, you know, even on Hanukkah, Hanukkah, there's people that actually. don't have, people that are Hag, for example, in Isser, Malacha, while the candles are lit, right? Especially but that's not your, them. but you're absolutely right. Especially by women. Especially by women, that's correct. So, right, that's in the Mishnah Brewer, I believe. Um, but Rav writes, he says that Purim is so great that it's kedushah it's sanctity, cannot be uh, enclosed within mere uh, Isurim uh, prohibitions on uh, doing mundane work and carrying oneself as if it was a regular day, because the Kiddush, it's too great to even understand and to encapsulate in, uh, in, in prescribing Malacha. So I would say that if Purim, if Purim Gadol doesn't have Malacha, but it does have... You know, the Megillah, and it does have the Suuda Mishlochmanos Manos, and levionim, which marks its greatness. So Purim Kattan is even more behe'lim, it's even more of a, a hidden concept. That the Kidusha Purim Kattan is, is perhaps, uh, one might say, even so great that, uh, that the day merely can pass for us and we wouldn't even pay attention. An ordinary individual wouldn't even pay attention. So what's the connection between Purim Katan and Purim? In it's 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 just the the day that Purim would have uh, would have been had this well, not we'll been be had this oh, not like, been overior. Be yeah, oh, correct. Oh, oh. We're in Adar Aleph now. Right, so anyway, so, that's, uh, so we are learning uh, on Purimkaton. Uh, I feel uh, doubly bad the and the Rebbe is holding a tish tonight also. Maybe I'll try and make my way to it afterwards. But uh, back to Rebbe Nachman. So he's reintroducing himself. Rebbe Nachman writes, Chaim Oran, or we said, is a collection of, uh, of statements, a collection of descriptions of Rebbe Nachman, a collection of his attitudes and his minhagim, as recorded by his faithful uh, scribe, his faithful Talmud of Nason of Lemerov, later of Nosson of Breslov. So he writes the following. And he gives here a kind of genie and the revolutions of mystical revelations in Jewish history. So he says, Shamati B'Shmo, Rav Nosson says, I heard in the name of Rav Nachman, Sh'amar Min Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, from the days of the great Tan, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the traditional author of the Zohar and his mystical circle, Shaya Hiddush, right, he was a great novelty, him, Ad and then the world was quiet, right, there were uh, mystical revelations were not, uh, were not to be found, uh, no revolutions were to be found until the days of the Arizal, until the days of the you know, 16th century Tzfat, and uh, the Ari. And his own circle, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria. Until the days of the Arizal, from the days of Rabbi Shimon there had not been right. So, of like from the second century until the uh, six, until the sixteenth f- century, rather, fifteen hundreds. So there was never a, a revelation like Rabbi Shimon until the Arizal so the Ari came and he instituted the system of Lurianic Kabbalah he was a great novelty and he revealed things he revealed that which he revealed which hadn't been seen in many centuries that kind of a revolution uh, for more by the way on the connection between Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Shimon bar Yechai the Hakdama to Aran to Rabbi Nachman's magnum opus uh, focuses to a great extent, the Rabbi Shimon Bar with many allusions and connections uh, from from Rabbi Nachman to Rashbi, that's for another time. And we continue in from the days of the Arizal, Adabal until the seventeen hundreds. There was the world was quiet in terms of mystical revolutions. Then the Balshentev Raminachman's great grandfather came and uh, he wrought another revolution in Jewish mysticism and revelations of secrets of Torah. From the Balshentev until now, the world was also quiet, without any new novelties. Then the world the world allowed itself for those. Uh, for that for that period of time to operate uh, satisfying itself with the revelations that the Baal Shem Tov had revealed to the world until Ad Shebati Anochi and then Rabbi Nachman says until I myself came right the in bold, And now I come and I reveal brand new things that have not been seen before. And just a word on this, and this is exactly the kind of faris, the kind of uh, statements that are, that are quite difficult to understand uh, through the prism of anava that we that we talked about before. And I think it's important to not just get out of the way, but to, to have in place in order to understand the rest of what we're going to learn, is that it's also important that Rabbi Nachman is well aware of the difficulties in understanding him and his Torah. And also there was tremendous machlokis upon him. Rabbi Nachman went uh, and took on certain uh, great leaders of the day head on. And Rabbi Nachman had many people that were cholik on him that in, in bitter machlokis, bitter dispute against Rabbi Nachman. Also it's important to know Rabbi Nachman that he would uh, had a practice of actively distancing himself and discouraging followers. So a great paradox, like many other things Rabbi Nachman teaches. And Rabbi Nachman, one last thing that he says, a shocker. you know, we know in, uh, we've been learning in Pirkei Avos, and we Say that in Avos we're told that um, we have to know, we have to know what to answer to an apichorus, right? When you should know what to answer to a heretic. So if that's true, if that's true, Rabbi Nachman said in Yiddish was reported to say, "I'm bin ich. He says, "I am a damashitoshelapikores, my own being, my own self, who I am is itself an answer to the heretics." The Rabbi Nachman said, "I myself a ich bin a my own Torah and my own self, and my own life is what you answer to an apikoris, is what you answer to heretics." So what do we? How do we make heads and tails of something like this? And I was struggling because the truth is is that maybe one might say that the goal of these she'er. Him, uh, especially has become more text-based now. The goal of these shirms is to say that the truth is, is that uh, these statements, I certainly am at a point now where these statements uh, do not shock at all. Um, I haven't lost my mind. I haven't forgotten uh, what the Jewish tradition says about Anava. These statements don't shock at all. These statements are instead uh, absolutely true and totally on the mark. Uh, and in fact, describe somebody as we said, Anava is to know who oneself is. Rabbi Nachman truly understood who he was. But, uh, but I had a little bit of a revelation on Shabbos. I've been uh, in preparation for Pirkei Avos Shirem on Shabbos. So I've been learning this year from the commentary on Pirkei Avos from the Kamarna Rabbi. Rabbi Huda Yechiel Yitzchak Isaac Halei Safran of Kamarna, a great uh, wondrous figure in his own right, and met, uh, an incredible harmonizer of the Torah of the Arizal and the Torah of the Balshemtov, who came a little bit later than Rabbi Nachman, but he quoted uh, he quoted it's it's in the footnotes uh, quoted from a, a great Hasidic rabbi Nachman of Rymenov, who says the following, who's quoted by uh, a grandson of his by Ritzvili Melech of Dinov. Who is a great rabbi, a Hasidic rabbi, his own right? So he writes in his Igre de Pirka the following thing. This is the bottom of the first page. He says, "Lifamim." He says, "You should know that sometimes avoda bi there is sometimes work that a tzaddik does that is called hispa'arus, to go ahead and to uh, to, to derive to." To express one's own splendor, right? This is not a brand new idea. We find this also in Pirkey Avos. Rebbe, uh, who was famously Zehu Shulchanos, had uh, both uh, the mundane world and the spiritual world at his fingertips, and was blessed with both of them. Rebbe says that we should find we should do things that are Lo right? Ezu Adam. What What's the proper path that a person should choose? Kolshi Tiferes Lo Seah, word is something that grants splendor to those that do it. Somebody that that you. You feel splendor in that which you do, says the Kamarna, that you know that you're doing the right thing. So the Dineva writes, he says, sometimes the tzaddik, we see tzaddikim that are engaged in hisparus, that are engaged in these kind of statements that on the surface would seem rather shocking, coming from a, uh, a spiritual adept and somebody that was so steeped in Torah and mitzvahs, like Rabbi Nachman, for example. And the tzaddik is forced sometimes to go ahead from within himself to describe themselves in, in, in wondrous uh, seemingly arrogant terms, these incredible statements about themselves. So he says V'hasimen. How do you know if it's right or not? How do you know if it's real? Avodo how do you know whether it's this is really the Tzadik speaking or instead if it's just you know, mere arrogance, simple arrogance God forbid. He says how do we know? How do we know? says if you were to find other tzaddikim, if you were to find uh, simple, humble individuals, if you were to find humble individuals who go ahead and attach themselves to that same individual, so then you know, then you know that this person, when they go ahead and they're being inspired, and when they go ahead and they describe themselves in such amazing terms, that's actually the truth. So I, say, so I was reading this and he continues and he says this is how you know right?" and we, we find this with David Amelch saying you know I'm going to praise myself with, uh, for the fact that I'm in the service of God right but the point over here I think is that we know that from Rabbi Nachman that the people that attach themselves to Rabbi Nachman no less than Rav Nassim himself Rav Nassim could have been his own Rabbi Nachman in a sense Rav Nassim could have been one of the great Hasidic masters of all time and started his own thing Rav Nassim dedicated his entire life to simply, not simply, to writing down every single thing that Rabbi Nachman could say in order to to allow that to be transmitted to the next generation. I would say the biggest proof Right? the biggest proof of Rabbi Nachman, he says that there's never been a revelation since the Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai since the Arizal and since the Arizal since the Bal Shemtov, and since the Bal Shemtov me or to say that I'm a river that cleanses of all stains or to say that there's never been a Chiddush a novelty just like, quite like me or that I am what you answer to and not because Rabbi Nachman was saying that the clearest sign that Rabbi Nachman was telling us the truth about himself and there wasn't a scintilla chalila of arrogance in it is the fact that he had Rabbi Nas that attached himself to him amongst the many other Breslav Hasidim To this very day, Breslav Chassidim, I think, goes ahead and, 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 it, and it acquires for itself its special tzivyon, its special nature with total bittel to the tzaddik, total uh, abnegation of the self to Rabbi Nachman and his Torah. And proof is in the pudding. Rabbi Nassim, after Rabbi Nachman died prematurely at age 38, right after Rabbi Nachman died, Sir moved from he moved to Breslav and he was called Rabbi Nassim of Breslav. And there was, uh, maybe one might have assumed, and this is talked about in Arthur Green's book, there were many other people, who would assume the mantle of Rabbi Nachman? You know who assumed the mantle of Rabbi Nachman who became the breast of the Rebbe after Rabbi Nachman? No one. No one. Reb had the opportunity. He could have. He could have. Maybe, perhaps, easily have done so. He knew everything he, that Rabbi Nachman had said. He transmitted as faithfully as possible. And Reb mere, merely resigned himself—not resigned himself, but dedicated himself to pushing forward. And we find the Reb who is who is a figure of monumental Torah scholarship and monumental uh, Hasidic. Uh, uh, a mystical adept we find that, for example this is how Rav Nassim lived Rav Nassim's letters to his son that we have a beautiful collection of letters I believe it's called Ibi Anachal so in his collection of letters all we find the way that he talks to his son is basically just using Rabbi Nachman's words. It's as if he has no selfhood. It's as if he has no selfhood. He's a complete conduit uh, for, for, for Rabbi Nachman himself, much like Yoshua, serving as like the moon to Moshe Rabbeinu, just a reflection or fraction of the light itself. So, so I would say the greatest proof of all, and, and, and you really don't need, once you see the Torahs themselves, once you start to embrace love, that becomes its own answer. But Rabbi Nachman himself, the greatest Talmud of Rabbi Nachman, uh, perhaps the closest Talmud-Rebbe relationship that existed in all of Hasidus, is uh, it, it completes a complete bitl, complete annihilation of his own ego in the, uh, in the face of the magnitude of his Rebbe's persona and personality. So that was, uh, that was a special thing. One moment, that was a special thing that I thought was uh, that, that I came across on Shabbos. Hi, Alan. Hey. Turning so the page. Do so you think that uh, the Lubavitch Hasidim kind of Followed that model in not having a rebbe after the the last rebbe test. After the on such a high drag maybe they felt it was like Peril It's 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 hard to imagine when you learn about the Leavavitcher Rebbe. We could spend Shurim on him when you learn about the Leavavitcher Rebbe and who he was and what he did and the magnitude of his personality. Even I, it's almost impossible to imagine a successor. It's how do you how do you anything else is is. You know, so Labab Rebbe succeeded great Sadiqim in his own right, his father in law, the Rebbe Riyadh, right? He succeeded great Sadiqim, but, but after Lubavitch Rebbe, it's almost, it's almost incredible, and, and, and I, you, I don't want to get off on this, but it's almost incredible that the Lubavitch Rebbe, in many respects, is even larger in his afterlife than during his life. I mean, no, the f- But that's it's, the same that's, as... That's, that's that's, kind of so, so that's... Do so that's, that's, yeah. you think this is consciously done or just happened to work out that I, way? I think I think that the very... Were such a high madrigue, nobody felt... I think thing. that the very nature of Rabbi Nachman, his revelation, the Torah, the Chiddush, is that is that it cannot be duplicated. around that maybe Rabbi Nachman almost made... He never instructed anybody about succession. he made it such that... The Talmud couldn't think of taking. You know, it's it's possible. Possible. I can't. I can't know. I can't, so we can't know. But as he says that, like there's nobody like me. I can right. So so, my, but but, my but that's my body. point. That's my point, Martin. Right. That ordinarily somebody but goes no, no, ahead he and so says it. Didn't say that. Bavich didn't say that, uh, each yeah, tzaddik sorry. in his own path, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but people have the option. People could have very easily gone ahead and recoiled from such an individual. Instead, they found themselves drawn to, you know, Breslov Hasidim were, were, were derided as being called Toitah Chassidim, as being called the dead Chassidim. Right? The Rebbe is dead, and for hundreds of years, there hasn't been a Breslov Rebbe since. Right? There's Mashpiyim in Breslov, there's people that teach and, and influence based on Breslov Torah, but, but there's never a toiter Hasidim. Chassidim. A Breslov Chassidim would say, you know, we might be dead Chassidim, but we're we're, we're grateful, right? We're grateful for the fact... We're grateful Dad. We're grateful that, uh, that we had a... We're grateful that we had a Rebbe that existed, that we could still... And his afterlife is just this strong. So, so why learn about Rabbi Nachman? So they don't try to answer it. They just say you're it works. It works. It, it is. You don't answer why. It's not... I don't, to, to my knowledge, it's not, it's not explicitly articulated. It just wasn't. Rabbi Nachman didn't instruct. We, we know, of course, that Rabbi Nachman no, he, lost he, 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 his he sons, right? He this Talmud feel that he was so powerful and his revelation were, were like none others that nobody would have thought Perhaps. You know, the, the, Perhaps. the teacher that shares his knowledge and wants the Talmud to to get as good as he is or better maybe. no no so that that I have to stop you because Rabbi Nachman will see tonight hopefully Rabbi Nachman constantly says my goal is to get people up to where I am to make other, to make other and to get people to be exactly like me, okay. to bring people to be exactly like me. We'll see that explicitly tonight, right? So, so there's a democratization, but, but you are right in the sense that, that perhaps he was so, so, his revelation was so great and so awesome, that what, what could possibly come afterwards, right? Right? Uh, right? Before you have this one tzaddik, what, what are you going to add on to that? What are you going to count before that? Anyway... So why learn about Rabbi Nachman? So I, I just want to quote one thing from a Sefer Pa'ula Tzadik which is an a, a Bresla- internal Brestlet biography by uh, Rabbi Yezer Shlomo Shik, who is known as the Tzadik Mi Yavnel who, who started a Brestlet community in the Galilee in the city of Yavnel. So he wrote, he says uh, in the top of this box over here, By telling over the stories of the lives of the Tzadikim we actually go ahead and we reveal a little bit of the light of the Messiah in the world. This comes to Rabbi Nachman's own words. This comes to own Sefer Sefer Amidos, which is a, a book of aphorisms, short cryptic aphorisms written by Rabbi Nachman before his trip to Eretz Israel. So he says that there is something redemptive. There is something that, uh, that goes ahead and, 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 and illuminates a little bit of the darkness of Gullus by saying, even though, yea, we may be in exile, yea, we may not have the Messiah yet. But we certainly have these figures that go ahead and, and move us and inch us ever closer uh, to the to the Messiah. Rabbi Nachman said, "You know, I actually took a the a Mashiach. This fire that I teach you that's going to remain lit until the Messiah comes. So maybe by going ahead and, dis- and talking about the tzaddik and, and describing and saying stories about the tzaddik, so we're actually doing something redemptive in, in a sense. And what about uh, the description of Yinachman's? Why is what's the appeal maybe uh, especially to me and to others, of Nachman? So so I saw from a shir by Rabbi Uri Sherki who's a very, uh, very well-known, uh, very popular religious Zionist, uh, uh, edu- religious. he's a very popular Torah uh, educator and, and rabbi in Eretz Yisrael, Machon Meir. Sharki writes, he says, he quotes somebody else, he's, uh, he's French, yeah. He, so he says, he quotes from uh, from somebody else, he says, there are three, we have three, there are others, but we have three major books. Uh, in, in, in Hasidus. So we have, for example, Sefer Atanya. Atanya. which is, you know, the Ur text of, uh, of Chabad Hasidus, and it's called the Torah Shev of Hasidus and it contains uh, so many foundational ideas uh, from the Rebbe of Chabad, the first, the Rav Zamliadi. So he says Sefer this is the second box, Nikragam Sifran Shal the subtitles that's the, it's the work of the middling people, banonim, those that are in the middle. It describes in the book that to be a is quite a difficult thing, quite a rarefied thing to even be a Benoni like uh, look who thinks he's a Benoni right it describes the situation of a person who hangs in the balance between good and evil and how that person deals with life another very important earlier work of Chassidus written by Rabbi Melech Lujensk. so he writes his work is the work of Tzadik the whole book constantly talks about every verse in the Torah is refracted through what uh, scholars would call tzaddik. The notion of a of a, a person of the what, what we call the Axis Mundi, a person who who heaven and earth oscillate on this person, on this individual, we attach ourselves to them. Uh, that's uh, Art Green has a uh, has a whole essay on that concept. Tzadik is access mundi. So he says shechein bo mitorah anogasat tzadik. He describes how a tzadik interacts with the world, and everything is everything, every pasuk is refracted through the prism of of tzadikim of righteous individuals. And then we have Likutim Moran. there is would be Nachman's book. And that's a Sifram from Rishaim. That's the book of Rishaim of wicked people, right? People that sin. Right? Maybe not uh, totally wicked, but uh, maybe somebody like me, Shekh not thesuraatsma of Russia, Sazadi that sees themselves like a Russia, right? even though we know Alfi Allah, <laughs> they not the Maimat of Russia, and I'll let to call yourself a Russia yeah. and, to, and to be <laughs> a Shia. Asad so I will stop. So to says leave the rest of us. ah) <laughs> <laughs> So he says. <laughs> <laughs> so he says. The So Rabbi Nachman wrote a work not for the people in the middle, not for the people on the other side of the divide, the tzaddikim, but for the people on the uh, on the lower end of the spectrum, the rishon, those that are dealing with the world of sin and doubt and failing and, and 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 anger and and murmuring about the state of the world. And Rabbi Nachman wrote a work for them. Rabbi Nachman's magnum opus, his main work, the the entirety of his Torah was directed toward these individuals, how do you raise yourself up from that pit? How do you go ahead and, and function in the darkness of this world? So that's, I think, a really beautiful formulation. Uh, certainly many might have quibbles with with these distinctions, but I think as a as a rubric and as heuristic, it works, it works. rinachman does talk, and that's maybe... Part of the the deep and intense appeal, the the very personal appeal that that I described last week, and that many people will describe, the Torah of Breslav, the Torah of Rabbi Nachman, maybe what draws them uh, constantly, you know, even in his afterlife, draws people constantly to Rabbi Nachman. So now, now I ask, now I ask, what kind of a man, what kind of a man was Rabbi Nachman, Bresla? So Rabbi Nachman, thankfully, uh, more than any other. Tzaddik, that I know of more than any other great religious figure, uh, gave us a window into his inner life, gave us a window into what was going on in the, uh, in the inner chambers of a Tzaddik soul. And he told people, and he wasn't embarrassed to say it, and he, and he, and he obviously thought, uh, in transmitting these uh, thoughts, that this was important to preserve for posterity, that, that we almost, that an ordinary individual, an ordinary individual gets to peer into the inner life of a person who's the great grandson of Baal Shem Tov, who from a very early age works very hard to destroy any physical desire, who does uh, wild, uh, wild and dangerous activities sometimes to bring himself to tests of faith and travels towards Israel as we saw a great danger, a person of uh, these spiritual powers and knowledge of course of all the Torah, as is clear from uh, a mere glimpse at his works at Likuta Mehran especially how Rabbi Nachman jumps from all of Sifre Tanach to all the works of Shas and Kabbalah and back again uh, a wondrous mastery of all of Torah and an ability to uh, I say this uh, with the weavers in, uh, in place, to weave the Torah together into a beautiful tapestry so we get to look and to peer into that person's inner life. So Rabbi Nachman is described in the following of, uh, a very unsettling and a very striking I mean look at this striking piece if you came tonight for one piece look at how uh, look at how Rabbi Nachman described himself so Rabbi says source number one I'll read slowly tell me if you lose the place but we'll read and translate and do a little text together Rabbi Nachman would talk often about the greatness of fear of God and trepidation before heaven and this holiness that he had in his youth Shai Azaris veKadosh He had a great degree of alacrity in the service of God and a great degree of holiness. VeAmar in the bold Shai Kama Pam Biyom Echad. Rabbi Nachman said that he would start again and again. He would begin again many times, even in one day. What does that mean? that he would start and he would say now now I'm going to be a kosher a Jew now I'm going to be a good Jew and I'm going to serve Hashem and in that very day the he would fall from that he would fall deep into the desire of eating which Rabbi Nachman in other places locates as you know the sine qua non of the physical tavot of the physical desires everything else stems from the tavo Achila, you break the Tav of Achila, you break your desire to eat, and thereafter you'll be able to break any physical desire, a person that's able to control their impulses and desires to eat, so that person will be able to control any other desire. But Rabbi Nach would fall back into that. And he would start again on that very same day, once more. From this point on, I'm going to be a kosher Jew, I'm going to be a good Jew. He would fall again, he would start again and begin again. And this would happen many times a day. We heard Rabbi Nachman many times Rabbi Nachman would go ahead and he would, re- and he would restart himself and press the reset button, even many times in a single day. That's the same individual, by the way, that tells you that we struggle with statements like, I'm a river that cleanses all stains. So now we understand it's on balance with this kind of a personal revelation of a tzaddik. You know, you would assume a tzaddik in order to garner a stronger and more ardent following would try and present an image of perfection. Certainly, you know uh, nowadays the handlers of certain uh, tzaddikim, so uh, so to speak, you know, certainly present a, a rarefied image of uh, super people, superhuman abilities that lack, you know, the human qualities of failure and uh, and disappointment that we all experience. I have a question. Yes, I know you may have touched on this last week. It's part of Judaism that you're not really supposed to deprive yourself of basic pleasures like eating. I mean, it's one Correct. that's prudent but not to go overboard. Correct, right. So, so we, do, we do know, right, the Rambam talks about us following, you know, the Shvil Azov, I believe, that we follow the golden path, right, but, uh, but so obviously there is, there is room for personal uh, practice in these things, right, everything in moderation, but sometimes, for example, I believe the Rambam himself describes, uh, I don't have it off the top of my head, but the Rambam himself describes that if somebody finds themselves struggling greatly, In a particular sin or in a particular uh, negative character trait, that she should go to the opposite end of the spectrum. They should go to the extreme. Hopefully, once they go ahead to the extreme, then they'll be able to happily reach uh, a healthy medium. Be that as it may, and even though Judaism, uh, by and large, does discourage an ascetic ideal, that's not how we. uh, That especially also in, in early Hasidus, privation was not the path to God. But be that as it may, we do find certain individuals, certain adepts, would adopt for themselves the path of privation and the path of asceticism in their struggle to reach God and to cleave to godliness. So we do find that. So you are absolutely right that, uh, that for, for the majority of us that that's something, right, but also we shouldn't delude ourselves and think that sometimes, you know, uh, as I sit and look at a bag of hot cheese curls that I ate at 11 o'clock at night because I was hungry, I shouldn't uh, trick myself into thinking, oh, I'm just following the Shvilazov by, uh, by, uh, by pigging out on snack foods and making myself feel terrible the next morning, right? So, uh, so I shouldn't trick myself, nor should we trick ourselves in thinking that, for example, you know, going ahead and uh, that, that what we're used to is, might, necess- might not necessarily be uh, that, that, that same middle path. Um, you know, guys. I see. I see that you're weaving. I want to tell you very quickly before I forget. There's a muscle that appears in Sipurim Chadashim for Vinachman in the end of Chaim Oran, which is a section in uh, Chaim Oran, the work that we saw earlier. Rabbi Nachman describes this world as peering behind the back of a tapestry. And I'm looking that you snipped off the edge of it. Right. So Rabbi Nachman, listen. But listen to this. As you as you think about this, it's an amazing idea. Think about this every other time you, you weave a talis or a tefillin bag or anything, but, but not weaving. Uh, uh, what's needle, this? Point. needle point? Right. So if you look at the Back of a needlepoint tapestry, we look at the back of that. What do we see? We see knots, we see all kinds of right. The, the image is, is not a pleasant one. Uh-huh. So, Rabbi Nachman described, I forgot exactly, I believe this in Sipur and Chadashim, he said, living in this world, living in Olam Hazeh, and, and I'm saying this because we're going to return to it later, Amir Tzashem. Living in Olam Hazeh and looking at the, the messed up, confusing ways of the world is like looking at a tapestry yeah, from the yeah. back. And he says that when we reach the Olam Ha'emes, when we reach the other side of the divide, when we cross over, right? When we cross over the great divide, then we go ahead and we look at that. That's what we see, we see how all the knots, how all the disparate threads, how they all came together to forge a, a beautiful, wondrous image. That's from Rabbi Nachman. Anyway, let's continue. So second paragraph. <laughs> this is an important, important rule when we go, when we all go to serve God. That nobody should ever say to themselves, "Ah, oh, I've fallen and I can't get up. There's not going to be any tshuva for me. I can't rectify what I've done. Now you should never say that. You should never leave yourself thinking that you've no way to get back up. In kol zeh yechaz ikis atzma esher, You should always seek to strengthen yourself in any way you can. The Khadash And to start again anew, even if it's a hundred times a day and a thousand times a day, person should should, should gird their loins and should, should st- stand up strong and be able to forge ahead once again yeah. now I'm going to start coming close to that now I'm going to get close to Hashem no matter how far I've fallen even if it happens many times you say to yourself I, I just can't do it I just can't do it I can't win I keep on failing I keep on succumbing to my desires and to the veiros it's going to have many many fails in the service of God, he calls the You should start again anew every single time. I feel kama I mean, look at the chizek over here. Look at the way he strengthens us. And look at what it comes from. Same, this is you want to know what a river that cleanses of all stains is? A river means you can't step foot in the same river like the cliched statement goes. You'd want to understand the river, you can't step foot in the same river twice. Right? So when it comes to Avutas HaTshuva, you can't step foot in the same shuva twice. So you send, okay, it's downstream. Now it's time to jump back into the river again. Again. So it's not Rabbi Nachman itself, it's this Torah that's You could be as stained as possible, you jump in this river, you jump in this flow, in this Nahar, and then you're able to go ahead and cleanse yourself. That's what Shuvah is. And the last bolted section, And without this, you'll never succeed, you won't be a good Jew, and you'll find it very difficult to come close to Hashem. We'll skip over to the next source over here, but I mean, what a, what a, what a satisfying, what a, what a foundational teaching in Breslov, and something Rabbi Nachman described he says, this isn't just for the followers. This is for the Rebbe himself. right? This is for Rebbe Nachman himself. The second source comes from Sichas Haran. Sichas Haran, once again, is a collection of shorter sayings and teachings from Rebbe Nachman, collected of Nassim Nemerov. And he says the following. Shamati Bishmo Shamati Bishmo. So he says, I heard in his name, Shaammar Sheikrma, Shehigila, The main way in which he arrived at his station in service of God, Raka Yidei Inyana Was only because he strove to be simple, a prustica mensch, a simple person, right, not any fanfare, not any complexity, right? Obviously we're we're saying there's a big difference between simplistic and simple. Simplistic is not what we're talking about over here. Simple. Simple is sometimes the greatest genius. To explain a complex idea, to explain something monumental in the terms that everybody could understand, to explain it like I'm five and I could still understand it, that's genius. So Nachman says that the way that he reached his level was by constantly striving to be a prastika mensch, to be a simple person, to have pshitas, to achieve simplicity. And that's why Rabbi Nachman constantly, throughout Sikh Hasran and throughout the rest of his writings, Rinachman constantly dissuades us and dissuades his followers from engaging in Sifre Chakira in all kinds of you know scientific investigation philosophical investigation even to a certain extent uh, putting on the uh, forbidden shelf certain work great works of Jewish philosophy from Rabbah Ezra, the Rambam even that he said that we don't need that right that it's the, the Tzadikim there's a Tzadik he says in the there's a Tzadik on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu who could go ahead and could see everything who could ask those questions of God you know why is it that the wicked uh, prevail and the and the good suffer? Why is it that the world is the way that it is? Why is it that things are so absurd? So there are a that could do that, but when we have a tzaddik that does that, our goal is to be simple people, to serve God with simplicity. Without any sort of investigations and deep questioning, just to serve God, to put your head down and to serve God like an animal maybe, right? To not, not think constantly about what's going on around, but to think about what do I need to do now? To put my head down and to serve God with simplicity. What does it mean to be simple, Jew? To, to, to talk constantly with God Almighty. You might not even know the tefillahs, so you talk to God. To talk constantly with God. And to say, till him. Rabbi Nachman says, and lo and behold, through trying to be, through the constant search after this kind of holy simplicity, the genius of simplicity, Rabbi Nachman was able to become what he became. Isn't that one of the interpretations of the town... On Pesach, not Gada. uh, It doesn't mean a simpleton. It could be someone. Now it is right. We say (laughs) Yaakov Avin, Yaakov Yishpat, Yaakov was by no means, if uh, from a a mere cursory glance at reading the Bible, Rabbi Nachman is Rabbi Yaakov Avin was by no means a simple individual. Tom sometimes, tam mm-hmm. mm-hmm. can also Christine be tmimos, mm-hmm. right? There could be a wholeness, mm-hmm. right? Simplicity sometimes when something is complex and made up of so many different parts, it could fall apart. And, and, and pieces can, can, right? Sometimes they don't always come together. But when somebody achieves simplicity, so that's a unit, that's a whole, right? That's a, a, a Nakuda, right? That's, that's a point, and that point can't be separated. That's right, that's right, that's very good. So he, says, so he says, He says, Had I known that God would have made from me that which I am now, the novelty of my Torah, and what I'm able to express. He says, I would have gone back and I would have tried to achieve in a day that which I achieved in a year. I would have moved faster. And he would, Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman would lament he would yearn for, he would pine for those days. Right? He, would, he would pine just to be a simple Jew. Right? To be a simple Jew. He spoke with other tzaddikim. And they only arrived at where they arrived. They only reached the levels of Avodah Hashem by trying and striving and, and, and constantly hurdling for, uh, for this simplicity. Simple conversation, a constant conversation and dialogue between us and God. Between us and God. And that's how they did their work. And through this, they became what they became. Praiseworthy are they. Right, so Rabbi Nachman desired simplicity, and we said that Rabbi Nachman didn't always feel comfortable as a, as a Hasidic Rebbe with a court, and we know that that happened a little bit later on in his life, when he, re, when he arrived in Zlatopol, for example, and when he arrived in Breslov, right? uh, not, and, and, and that Rabbi Nachman was uncomfortable with it throughout his life. And, and, and we describe, for example, Rav Nachman's major idea of hispodedus, of, of one being comfortable, being alone, even going out to the forest and separating oneself from everybody else, and, and indeed being Polish to a certain extent, separating oneself from the, from the people. And we find Rav Nachman also desires for the simplicity to also run away at times, right? Maybe that's what he was doing in Eretz Yisrael. We saw at the beginning of his trip to Eretz Yisrael that Rav had felt that a spiritual wall had been hit. And he was wondering, you know, what am I doing in this world? What am I doing here? You know, this great-grandson, of the Bash, who's following the same path that was, uh, that was hoped for you know since uh, before I was born so he runs he goes to Eretz Yisrael and risks his life to do so and in Chaim Oran it says in Chaim Oran he says that he had an idea that Rabbi Nachman had an idea that he's, here's what he's going to do I'm going to take my wife we're going to travel very distant we'll be hidden there we'll be quiet and hidden from the rest of the world, and what will happen? I'll be separate. I'll be alone with my wife, and we'll be far away from everybody else. And every once in a while, I'll go out to the marketplace and I'll laugh at the world and its stupidities and its absurdities, and the, and, and the way that the that people, religious and and irreligious, observant and non-observant, the way that people carry themselves in this world. You know, the simple, uh, the day in and day out, the simple machinations of everyday life that people go through. Just, I'll laugh at it. Of course, he, he didn't do. They couldn't do that, right? But uh, because, but, but, this is what maybe was, was an inner desire to be alone, and he was also expressing something that uh, his great grandfather, that the Balshemta had as well, when the Balshemta was living and was hauling coal and racks to be sold in the shuk in the marketplace with his wife when they when they were uh, when they were hidden away in those mountains as an itinerant uh, Baal Shem. Right, so, so, moving now from this figure who, who's oscillating between these poles of greatness and smallness and greatness and smallness, and, 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 and I'm this wondrous novelty, but I'm also a simple nothing. Right? So, so we, I want to oscillate to another. To a, so, the wonder of all this, I want to oscillate to move towards another very important aspect of Rinachlin's personality, which is a focus on suffering. Focus on suffering and the focus on um, the focus of pain. In Rabbi Nachman's Torah, and and we'll we'll wrap up with this today. Uh, and uh, for this part of the Shira I relied very heavily on an essay written by Rabbi Hillel Zeitlin, Hashem Yukom Damo, uh, written in Warsaw, 1910, in his book Al Gvul Shnei alamas. We talked about Hillel Zeitlin before over here. Uh, suffice it to say, Hillel Zeitlin was a person who uh, was enamored and uh, sought to uh, sought to, to regain uh, what he believed was the message of Hasidus uh, that had started to be obscured. In the early 20th century, and uh, wrote extensively uh, in in the Yiddish press, and uh, and also wrote uh, some some great works for us, like this one, Al Gvul Shtei on the on the borderline between two worlds. Zeitlin himself had a an interesting personal trajectory from observance to less observance to Hasidic observance to stringent, and uh, of course was murdered by the Nazis with uh, with the Zohar in hand, and uh, talis and tefillin on his head so that's that's Rav Hill Zaitlin he was he was deeply drawn to Rabbi Nachman of Breslov to Rav Cook, to the right people I guess one might say and I was and he did War, this is published after. This is published after. <laughs> <laughs> much of it was printed in different journals and, and serialized in the Yiddish newspapers, but it was translated into Hebrew. Uh, much of it was translated into Hebrew. Um, this, uh, he's remarkable. He's really remarkable. He has some, some formulations here that are quite uh, staggering, actually. So I rely heavily on that essay, and the essay should be read in full. So we mentioned that Rabbi Nachman wrote a Sefer. A pamphlet, really, before before his trip to Eretz Yisrael in his youth, called Sefer Amidos, where you arrange topically these uh, these pithy aphorisms. They're very difficult to be understood, but the more you spend time with them, the more you realize, wow, you know, there's real amazing stuff uh, hidden in these uh, very very short sentences. Rabbi Nachman writes something cryptic. He writes Toelis Godul Ilmode Eitzel Naharos. Right, so this is source number four. He says it's a very good thing, it's a very good thing to learn Torah by the river, right down by the river. So. Uh, so it's a very important to learn Torah by, by rivers, right? By Rabbi Nachman, um, by Rabbi Nachman so there was a river that ran through his town, the, the river Bug, right? So, so Rabbi Nachman, so we're told the following story in source number five. So unfortunately, we're going to have to skip because in, in Likut Maran, much later on, Rabbi Nachman goes ahead and says that if you want to go ahead and be mechadish chidushe torah, if you want the rivers of your Torah to be expressed, if you want your Torah's rivers to be expressed, so you have to cry rivers first it says by crying rivers by pouring out your emotions then you're able to go ahead and achieve the holy emotion of Torah that becomes untainted once you've expressed and poured you poured yourself out you've cried and you have rivers of tears now you can have rivers of Torah that's where Nachman writes in the Kutma, Ran, Torah Reish Samach so in Sichas Ran tell the following story Bekfar <speaking> Usyatin Samech Leir Sham Hayadar Chama father-in-law lived Visham Haya Iker Gidulo, and that's where Rinachman got married quite young, at age 13. That's, that's where his oh, first marriage was. Yes, 13. 13. And he brought his first Hasidim on that day. Visham Holichnar, God of Allah, Gedalim Khanda, Vesuf, Vaharbe, Ma'od, and on that river, there were there were reeds and all kinds of vegetation that would be growing there to obscure the river. was practice. He would take a small boat like a canoe, and you would get on it, and he would uh, travel out. He would forge out onto the river, even though he wasn't so good. He wasn't uh, a sailor of much uh, of much skill. He would go and he would uh, hide and he would obscure himself behind the kana and the sof, behind the vegetation and the reeds. Adam until the place turning the page, that nobody would be able to see him. Visham Asam Asha Asam Avoda Sashemi Sparach B'tfield of Lo. And there he was able to achieve great levels in Avoda Hashem, hidden away and separate from other people in his bododos and seclusion and in tefillah. And we know that Ravi Nachman achieved that which he achieved because it only takes a cursory glance at his writings to know that he achieved incredible things. Regarding this boat, he would go into the river. And he didn't know how to drive it. He didn't know how to. He didn't know how to, how to guide the boat. When he was in the middle of the river, far from the far from the banks, then he didn't know what to do. This one time, and the boat is starting to rock, and he doesn't know what he's going to do, and he's going to drown. And Rabbi Nachman utilized the opportunity to scream out to God, to call out to God with hands raised as is fitting. This he wanted to teach us that everybody, each and every Jewish person, all of us, it's our job to scream out to Kadosh to cry out to Kadosh Not just in davening, by the way. Like he told us, the pros command us, right? The simple people, we talk to God like we're talking to a friend. All times. You're looking for parking, talk to God. Right? You're walking to Shul on Shabbos, talk to God. You're, uh, you're, playing, uh, you're playing a game, you're hanging out with your kids, talk to God. Stop and say, "How? what an amazing thing. Right? You're going ahead and you're at a Shabbos table and there's a lull in conversation and, and you want to thank God for the fact that we're safe, right? That we're in relative peace and safety and we have food on our tables, talk to God. Talk to God when you're, anxi- when you're, when you're anxiety filled. Talk to God at all these moments. And sometimes when it's really bad, then scream out to God. And pour out your heart and direct your heart to God. As if you're in the middle of the ocean, hanging by a thread. And the storm is going up to the heavens until you don't know what to do. You can't even scream. Sound familiar? Because the exact same thing happened to Revin Achmed himself in his journey to Israel and on the way back as well. And even then, Rabbi Nachman reached the Madrega, where everybody else is having a young kipper on the boat because it looks like they're all going to drown on their way to Eretz Yisrael. And Rabbi Nachman is silent. He realizes there's a time to cry out to God and to scream out to God, there's a time that you could just wait to see the salvation of God. Hopefully, it comes. Right? There's no escape, and there's no idea. Right? There's no better advice. Just to turn your eyes towards God. the And this is what we need to do at all times, to seclude ourselves, and to cry out to God Almighty. And person, not just when they're on a boat that's uh, teetering in the river, not just on their way to Eretz Israel, and not just in times of, of tremendous distress, but our own state in this world is a state of existential distress. I'll read that line again. Right? So when is it time to cry out to God? Actually, all the time. Right? That our predicament, the, the existential predicament that we have in this world is that, is that, uh, is that we're like this world. It's like, you know, I, meant, I mentioned that line, right? we're on that narrow bridge. It's our choice. What, what do we do on that bridge? How do we talk to God? How do we talk to the person that might help us get to the other side? understand these things very, very well. You know, I see that uh, we're about to run out of time. So what, we're do, what we'll do, what we'll do, because I really, Rabbi Nachman on suffering is is an unbelievable thing. Rabbi Nachman's suffering is 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 in many ways, I think, uh, at least for me, partially. Maybe the main thing that draws me to Rabbi Nachman. Right? Besides the wondrous uh, Torahs and everything, Rabbi Nachman, the way in which he faces suffering, and the frank language in which he talks about our existential predicament is something that will shock you to your core, and something that I really do believe can be life-changing. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to give it its full treatment next week, but I want to say, uh, one of the questions I wrote in the beginning, right, so if Rabbi Nachman really wanted to go ahead and to teach everybody, Rabbi Nachman really had this deep message, this deep chiddush of the world, why is it so hard to understand? Why is it so inaccessible? Right? Not that it's totally inaccessible, but you know, why is it, for example, that Rabbi Nachman's two-volume work, the Yikut Maran takes something like 22 volumes to render in English, right? Why is it that, uh, that it's so difficult and so hard to follow? So I think the truth is that Rabbi Nachman found it difficult to express himself and, and was like Mayan and Miskaber, was like this overflowing river, right, the steam of a river constantly bursting forth, that he had cried the tears that, that allowed his Torah to come out pure and clear. But sometimes it happens when a person has an overflow, it's hard to go ahead and contain. And that's what Rabbi Nachman, when you see there's a, Shalmaget has a beautiful essay on this. Professor Shalmag has an essay on, on the hermeneutics of Likut Maran. I think it's called God, it's in a collection of essays called God's Voice in the Void. Beautiful collection of essays on Rabbi Nachman. So he talks about this hermeneutic that Rabbi Nachman introduced that everything is an aspect of everything else, the word Bechina, right? That, that this is connected to this. That Like, like I said, for example, Yoshua. Is connected to the moon, that the moon reflects the light of the sun, and the sun refle- and, and Yeshua reflects the light of Moshe. So this Torah of it's not unique to Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman uses it far far to a far greater extent than, a, than I've ever seen. So Rabbi Nachman wanted to communicate monumental things. So it's important to remember that for all of this, and for our focus on Nachman, can't escape the fact that there is a Ravnasan also. The Rav really, by going ahead, and, and, and I think the greatest vindication of Rabbi Nachman's Torah was the fact that he had somebody that transmitted it to us, that we have shorter stay, we have Chaim Aran that is easier to follow, we have Sihas around that's easier to follow, we have, we have Likuta Alachos, which is this vast expansion of Rabbi Nachman's corpus of Torah. But the fact that it's transmitted to us that's why we have Rav Nas, and that's why, we, that's why we have the accessibility that we have to Rav Nachman's Torah. But Rav Nachman's self even a little bit is good. Even a little bit is good. So when we talk about them, this is by no means meant to be exhaustive even talking a little bit about Rav Nachman even that is good. So it's my hope it's my tefillah that we open ourselves up to next week we're going to continue a little bit we're going to talk about Rav Nachman on suffering continue a little bit more uh, text based I thank every single person for coming today um, so Mirza Hashem next week we will be